Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Happy Halloween and welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to talk some USC, Oregon State football. It's our preview show. I'm very excited because one of my favorite people in this business, actually one of my favorite people anywhere, Angie Machado is joining us. Uh, She's the publisher and owner of beaverblitz.com. Follow her on Twitter at Angie Machado, M-A-C-H-A-D-O-1. Angie, thanks for coming on. How are you doing? Uh, it's awesome. I, I love uh, USC week and thanks for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's always uh, just you're always a breath of fresh air. You're just fun to talk to. You talk about the Beavers, which, you know, not a lot of high moments. <laughs> you always not hear. a lot of fun. <laughs> but we, we, we love it on the uh, podcast of champions and whenever we get to talk to you here uh, for USC and you, you know, you've, you know, the USC program pretty well. So it's always a unique insight when we get to chat with you. Yes, it's fun. I, like I, I've told you guys before, I grew up an SE fan, so they always kind of have a little soft spot in my heart. Well, the Beavers, you know, soft spot in a lot of people's hearts, but this was uh, a <laughs> no moral victory uh, last weekend. We have to start with that. So if, if USC fans yeah. don't know, uh, so Oregon State's been giving up a bunch of points. They've been favored. I mean, not favored. They've been, been getting a lot of points in the point spreads. I've been picking them in the Pac-12 podcast, and they never seem to even be able to cover the point spread, and this was another one. I'm like, you know what? I'm taking uh, I'm taking Colorado in that 23 and a half points. It looked like I was doing all right. Uh, Colorado's up 31 to three in the third quarter. Uh, Colorado's at home, and somehow Oregon State <laughs> comes back and wins the game. One of the most dramatic finishes. It's just the craziest of outcomes. I mean, this is kind of typical Pac-12 when you just don't know what to expect. But to see the Beavers down 28 in the second half and not only able to come back and win, come back and tie the game, miss an extra point, and then win in overtime, like one of the most improbable things you could probably expect, right? I mean, that's crazy. It it was crazy. I mean, this is a team that had not won a road game since October 4th of 2014. Whoa. Uh, So that was, I think, 22 straight. And that actually, ironically, took place in Boulder as well. But um, yeah, seriously, this Oregon State team has been bad, like... Four head coaches. I mean, I went back and looked. So that last team that won in Boulder in 2014, there was only there's only 11 guys still on the roster that has experienced a road win, and and a lot of those guys were redshirt freshmen. So um, this team has had four head coaches. Um, this team, well, yeah, the defense is horrendous. But I don't. I honestly don't know what happened. My husband had gone off on a golf trip to uh, Central Oregon with his buddies. And he texts me midway through and he's like, Hey, anything going on with Beaver game? It looks like same old stuff. It's 24 to three. And I'm like, yeah, same old stuff. Don't worry about it. And then they come out of halftime and Colorado scores um, on the first play, a 75 yard run makes it 31 to three. And I'm just like, whatever, but uh, you know, Ryan, in our job, we have to watch the freaking game. Right? Yes. And I'm just like, Oh God, good thing. It's a noon game. I can be done with my work and like watch pack 12 after dark. And all of a sudden, like things just started happening. Jake Luton came back in and he's been so maligned, like his two year career at Oregon state. I mean, he played the first four games last season and then took this hit, um, scary hit 
last year at Washington State with a uh, fractured thoracic spine. I mean, they took him off. He was kind of like half paralyzed at the, at the game. It was crazy. Missed all the rest of last season. Comes in, starts at Ohio State and makes it the first series before he's out with a concussion. Um, comes back two weeks later, suffers a high ankle sprain at Nevada in week three, and, and then he's gone. Like the rest, he cannot get over this high ankle sprain. So to watch him come kind of limping in in the third quarter, and it really wasn't until the fourth quarter that they kind of started mounting this comeback. And it was, you know, when you watch a game, Ryan, and it's like everything kind of just starts going the way for your team. And yeah. you're watching this, and it was just bizarro, right? I mean, Oregon State's defense, who can't stop anything, makes a stop and, and next thing you know, Oregon state scores a touchdown and then they force a punt again. And it was, it's kind of weird. And then like the last drive, they got two penalties. Colorado got two penalties, a pass interference and a late hit call that kind of helped Oregon state move down the field. And yeah, wild. But um, you know, the fans needed that the team needed it. Coaches needed it. Um, I'm not ready to say this team is like ready to, to go out and win any more games because November looks brutal for the Beavers. But um for a new staff, a young staff, you know, Jonathan Smith, first year head coach. Um, it w- it was a big, big win for them. Yeah. I mean, huge watching. I was watching it. So this was going on. It started about a half hour before USC Arizona state in the Coliseum. And I was watching it on my tablet. Um, for whatever reason, when Dave, Dave Woods and I picked these games and this was the game we picked differently. It's like, I care. That's like what I care about the most. Like I'm looking at this. Oh, Colorado's covering the yeah. point spread. And then, you know, just, Oregon State just keeps coming back and coming back. You're like, wow, this is insane. Like, what's able to do? And then, you know, watching Jake Luton play, I really liked, you know, what I've seen before. Um, and he was basically limited for this game, right? Like, they, they weren't even going to allow him to play that much. But the, when he goes in there, I think they scored in like four of their last five drives and just made this crazy comeback. And it was like, I don't know. It just it seemed like he was ready when he came in. I mean, were you expecting something like that out of him? No. In fact, so Colorado had sacked Jake Coletto or Jack Coletto, the third string quarterback, six times in the first half. Oh, wow. So when I, I had a, a one of our um, members is in Colorado in Boulder and he texts me and he's like, hey, FYI, Jake's coming in. And when I see him go like limping out there, I was just like, oh, holy hell. I mean, seriously, the guy can't even jog out from the sideline. And we had a, Oregon State had an immobile quarterback in Coletto who got sacked six times. I'm like, this is going to be so bad. Um, but he made quick decisions. He was able to get the ball out. He throw, you know, like I said, so the second string quarterback, Connor Blount, is out with a concussion, concussion protocol. So he was a no-go. So to see Jack, uh, Jake come out, we have Jake and Jack. Um, Jake come out and really he picked Colorado secondary apart. So it wasn't anything fancy. It was, you know, a lot of just dink and dunk right down the field. But um, he had a big game. Game and, and Isaiah Hodgins, the sophomore wide receiver, had a big game as well. Yeah, Hodgins had that one-handed like touchdown. The catch. one-handed, yeah. That just seemed yeah. to spark the team because I think that was a fourth down play, right? Like if he doesn't make that play, like they don't win the game, basically. And that was the first, I think, the first touchdown to kind of pull him. You know, I think I think that put it to ten. Maybe that was seventeen, but yeah, it was crazy. I've never seen anything quite like it um, in in all my years. I want to I want to talk about the defense, but first uh, we need to get into uh, Jamar uh, Jermar Jefferson, who's from local kid here, Narbonne High School, USC. Mom Nevada. and Dad both went to SC. Crazy, Grew up, huge SC fan. And you, yeah. USC didn't recruit him, right? They basically didn't recruit him. He had gone to Rising Stars as a ninth, tenth, and eleventh grader. Um, they were in contact with him, um, 
Oregon State with the new staff offered him, went down in-home. There was a, a good story in, in one of the local newspapers today, how they'd gone down to do an in-home visit. And here's, you know, mom's USC diploma on the wall. And um, he grew up an SE fan. T. Martin actually offered him on Monday before signing day. Oh, wow. And, and you know, he said, but Oregon State, you know, I can go in and, and potentially start. And, and T. promised him that he would be in the rotation with two or three other guys. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, he said, Oregon State has a chance I can go and, and maybe be the guy early. And they've been with me all along. So Tennessee also offered him on signing day. And he he uh, said no to them as well. Nice. Uh, well, maybe you can talk about him. Like Ryan Nall was one of my favorite dudes ever. Uh, but you, Jefferson comes in and he's just like absolutely killing it. If you want to kind of describe the kind of uh, runner he is, because I'm sure USC fans are going to get to know him pretty well. Uh, watch, <laughs> watch it on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Another funny story from him is that Colorado had offered him as a sophomore. And he tried to commit to them his senior year and nobody would return his phone call. So, um, yeah, I bet they're kind of kicking themselves right now, but, um, he's just, he's a really, um, shifty runner, but he really is a good downhill North South. He's going to be tough, tough to bring down, not quite as fast with the full on, um, you know, Artavis Pierce AP is the guy with the, the breakaway speed, but, um, he's been kind of limited with some rib and a rib bruise, but, yeah, Jamar is special. The kid has great vision. He has patience. He can wait for his block. And um, once he goes, he's going, and he's tough to bring down. The uh, Yeah, so we'll see what the the offense should look like. should be better. Um, what we saw, you know, maybe more of the second half of Colorado, uh, you know, being able to put up 41 points. That was pretty impressive after having three points <laughs> after the first <laughs> two quarters. But on the defensive side – uh, I mean, that's part of the comeback, too, is that Colorado couldn't score again. Uh, I mean, Colorado scores one time in the third or fourth quarter and uh, again. And, uh, you know, it's very unlikely Oregon State wins this game. But we haven't seen, I guess the Oregon State defense hasn't played great. I mean, they gave up 77 to Ohio State. Uh, Brian, I, you know, the, the Oregon State defense is bad. Okay. Like, <laughs> bad. 52 to Arizona State, 56 to Washington State. Washington State puts up some points, but... You know, even, uh, you know, at Nevada, uh, giving up 37 points, losing that game. Uh, it, they gave up 49 to, to, to Cal at home a week after the bye. Yeah, that was bizarre yeah. to me because Cal's de- offense was pretty butt, you know, and they yeah. and to, to no, go on game, the road, that, that shocked me too. <laughs> yeah, no, they're bad. Like giving up 540 yards a game is, is their average right now. Um, some of the stats that just, I mean, they have only had six sacks on the season um, and only two interceptions on the year. Those, to me, are the two that just stand out as glaring. Just six the lack sacks, of big plays. And they give up six sacks in six the first sacks. half against. Oh, yeah. They've given up. The Oregon State offensive line has given up 30 sacks on the season. Wow. And Oregon State defense has only had six and only two interceptions. Um, the lack of big plays is has been awful the Oregon State defense has really struggled in the middle so up front the inside linebackers and then the defensive line just zero pressure and I honestly don't know what happened this week against Colorado in that second half because they actually made a stop but even when when my 10 year old son says mom I don't even I just when it when the opposing team has the ball I just want them to score so the Oregon State offense can get back out there because (laughs) you know they're going to so why let them take up a bunch of time so um no they're bad and I, and I hate, you know, being just that blunt, but, um, this is a team that just really hasn't created much pressure. Um, the DBs are young. Um, they have early in the season, they couldn't even tackle. They took bad angles. 
And, you know, I, I, we have one of our writers as a former player and his big thing was that they weren't sticking to their assignments. It was a lot of guys trying to do too much. So if they can play in like they did in the second half and stick to their assignments, they did look better. But I haven't seen that consistently. There's like a, a lot of freshmen in the secondary. Right? I think it's Xavier Crawford ended up transferring. He followed uh, Corey Hall to Corey Hall, Central yeah. Michigan, who was the interim head coach last year. They kind of he kind of rallied the troops for a while after uh, that whole debacle from last year. You got you know, Oregon State's got some crazy coaching stuff going on, just like USC. So uh, yeah, yeah, you know. You don't, you don't expect someone to just leave in the middle of the season and leave like $12 million on the table. But, you know, you, you get that at Oregon State, too. Yeah. I mean, seriously, Gary Anderson quit after the USC game last year. Yeah. How oh. many times did coach quit midseason? Just say, I'm done with you guys. I can't win. And left $12 million on the table. Like, walked away. I know. It's insane. But so anyway, so Corey Hall took over. And I, I think he did pretty well. But then you used a guy like Xavier Crawford who transferred out. I don't know if anyone else did, but... Um, it's it's been like a, a culture change, I guess, with Jonathan Jonathan Smith, who you know played played at Oregon State. Uh, he's an Oregon State guy. He's a Beaver through and through. So, has, have you seen that kind of evolve? Like, has the culture been changing throughout the year with Jonathan Jonathan Smith there? Completely. You know, that's this was a team that by the end of last season was so splintered and so. I mean, when you when you talk to the players or their parents and you hear how they hate football, like they don't even want to play the game anymore because it's not fun. They don't get along. They're bickering amongst themselves. You had offensive guys mad at uh, defensive guys at first. Uh, it was awful, like completely a train wreck. Um, so that was the first thing that Smith and his staff had to do was really come back in and, and galvanize this group. And he's done that. I was a little worried after the bye week. And then they came back. That was homecoming week with Cal. And I expected after, so they played Washington state pretty close and then they had this bye. So I expected them to come out, play tough. And they basically just rolled over. It was an awful performance. And I thought, you know what? He just lost the team. Like this is it. They've, they folded and then they come out with Colorado and they didn't give up. So, um, that fight is there. Um, they really believe in him. He's he's really a player's coach. And we've, I've heard some stories of of Jonathan like takes a different guy from home from practice each day just to talk to him and just have that one on one time and and kind of pick their brain a little bit. And um, he's a quiet, mild mannered guy. You know, he was the quarterback uh, back in like the early 2000s, led the Beavers to the Fiesta Bowl with Chad Johnson and some of those guys that uh, were TJ Hushmanzada and all that. Hushmanzada, yeah, yeah, that whole crew. Um, but he's always been mild mannered, but yet I've heard from so many that he is like the most competitive person you'll ever meet. Oh, So, um, he is super competitive. He's super fiery. And like I said, to keep this team engaged after all they've been through and then kind of the, the loss after loss after loss. Um, I think that's, that's a big statement for him. Yeah. Those were the Dennis Erickson teams, right? Like, yep. that's who yeah, he played for. yeah, he was, he was a walk on Jonathan Smith came in as a walk on, um, with Riley when coach Riley was here the first time. And, um, came in and basically came in a game at Washington and brought the team back in 99, I believe it was 98, 98. Um, and it was then like never looked back. And, uh, that 2000 year was kind of the, the biggest year with Ken Simonton and, and yeah, Hushmanzada, Chad Johnson. That was, that was a big year. Yeah. That was a huge smoking, uh, Notre Dame and the Fiesta bowl. Like that was a big one. That was, that was peak Oregon yeah, state yeah. football right there. That was, that's, that was, that was, that was kind of the, that was the glory year. Yeah. Um, so go back to the defense a little bit. So what's it, is it Tim Tibisar? Like the guy, he, was, he, uh, becomes a defensive coordinator. He was like a linebacker coach at Wisconsin. So it seemed like a little bit of, I don't know what kind of background he had, but maybe a little bit of a, 
a stretch. Do you, do you feel like he's getting this unit to play better? Is it just kind of taking a, you know, is he kind of learning on the job? I don't know. How's that been working? You know, he, he does have experience as a D coordinator. He was a D coordinator at Purdue for a year. He coached okay. in the NFL for the bears and you know, he, the, the head coach at Wisconsin, um, used to, was Jonathan Smith's O coordinator at Oregon state, Paul Christ. Paul Christ. So, um, you know, he came very highly, highly recommended from coach Christ, you know, coach Christ actually had looked at Inoki Brechterfield, the D line coach at Wisconsin who played with Jonathan at Oregon state as well. Um, Inoki stayed at Wisconsin, but Tibisar came and, and the biggest thing with him is he's super cerebral. This is a guy who graduated, I think from North Dakota or North Dakota state with a four point in economics. So, um, he's a real cerebral guy, but it's, it's really just been, he has the system that he wants to, to incorporate and it's going to take some time. I mean, I, I have gone out on a limb here and, and to say that the front seven for Oregon state next year is going to look completely different with some of these transfers they have coming in. Um, it's going to be a completely different unit plus a lot of the true freshmen that are playing right now. But, um, you know, it's just been sticking to what he wants as far as fundamentals is concerned. Um, the other linebacker coach, Trent Bray coached at Nebraska, but also coached, um, or played at Oregon state. He was one of the, the linebackers and his dad was the D coordinator under coach Erickson. So lots of kind of ties to Oregon state, but Tibisar is, like I said, the biggest thing I get from him is just his, he's real cerebral and a real X's and O's fundamental type guy. The, uh, Special teams wise for Oregon State, how's that unit been so far? It's been like the complete Achilles heel of, of Beaver fans <laughs> out there. I mean, Jordan Shuker, you know, I hate seeing kids, you know, get blasted on social media, but I mean, he missed a game winner at a game winning field goal at Nevada that would have gave the Beavers another win. He he misses that extra point um, that would have gave the Beavers the win in Colorado in, in, uh, in the fourth quarter. So, um, yeah, it's, it's nothing special. You know, it's a special teams. that's not been great, but, um, not horrendous either. Yeah. That, that missed. So if you don't know, um, Oregon state comes all the way back, uh, and you're down by six. It's inconceivable that Oregon state could, you know, win this game the way that the way it was going, it was, it was ridiculous. And then I forget how much time was left. There was less than a minute. And 29 Luton, seconds. 29 seconds. Luton throws a touchdown pass and it's, it basically ties the game with a PAT pending. And all you got to do is kick the extra point and, and Oregon State wins. And Shanks that left, I believe. Just <laughs> yeah, it. it was like not even close. It was complete not shank. Even close. Yeah. And yeah. at that point, when well, you're talking about a team, like Angie said, hadn't won on the road for four years, hadn't won in conference for a couple years. Was it like twelve in a row or something in conference? Yeah, or yeah. I think twenty Civil War twenty sixteen was our last conference win. Yeah. So all of that, those factors going into it, this is an incredible yeah. comeback, and then for something like that to happen, you you have I have to give credit to Jonathan Smith and this the crew because just to be able to bounce back from that, like this just elation of you know oh wow this is the craziest comeback ever and then it couldn't be more down you couldn't do anything more to like bring the team down than missing an extra point in your mind in everyone's mind watching that game you're thinking colorado's winning this no questions yeah, asked. No, bet a no, million no dollars colorado wins yeah. this. yeah you're just like are you serious you know this and and this poor team is gonna have to go home and it, it you know it always reminds me of i don't remember who it was it was an nfl guy I remember the idiot kicker the, uh, the idiot kicker comment back in NFL. Oh, I, I can't remember. Who you're, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But yeah, you know, you're just like, not, not, I'm not saying that about Oregon State's kicker, but 
you know, just that feeling of, dude, you had one job, you practice this all the freaking time and you missed it. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine if Oregon State would have lost that game? It would have just been. But all the good, all the the positives all that the you could get from yes. that would be gone and made it worse, gone. you know. Yeah. But the team showed a lot of resolve being able to, the defense still hanging on and the the offense scoring again. Like, you know, hey, that's okay. We've done it five times in a row. We'll do it one more. And to be able to have the resolve to win that game, I thought that, I mean, that showed a lot to me um, because that's just one of those things where, it's a it's a bad luck sort of squad, you know. It's just there's been nothing but bad luck for Oregon State, and that's like the ultimate bad luck where you're going to lose yeah. this game after coming back down 28. Um, but so I mean, yeah. So maybe that helps uh, the kicker too. Maybe it helps special teams where, hey, you know, yeah, you blew it, but the team had your back and and won anyway. That's that's the hope. But yeah, Oregon State has USC this weekend, Stanford, Washington, and Oregon. That's the that's the remaining four. So that's it. Um, that's it. <laughs> yeah, Ooh. not not too shabby, huh? Well, what, okay. So you know, you're around this program. You know what's going on there. Um, usually, when you have a huge emotional moments, you know it could go in any direction. It's I think it's good that the Beavers are at least returning home. That was something that happened on the road. Um, you know, you're talking about playing a team that's having its own issues with USC and and firing a coach and you know, demoting another one, some, some things going on with USC. We don't know which direction that could go. It could inspire the team. They could play great or they could just play poorly. We don't know about that. And it's Halloween and night in Corvallis, which, you know, there's a lot of Halloween, you know, the, the weekend after Halloween, all these factors coming in, but what do you, how do you think this is going to go? I, you know, I, I don't see how USC loses this game. Um, I think my prediction was 34, 21 is what I made. Um, but, I mean, that's just it. You know, stranger things have happened, especially when USC comes to Corvallis. But um, as far as home field advantage, you know, you, Oregon State has been so down now for for a couple years that I honestly think Oregon State plays better on the road. And I and I hate to say that, and I hope Oregon State, you know, shows up. It's Dad's weekend in Corvallis. Um, like I said, it's going to be cold and rainy. So um, SD is sometimes not the easiest thing to adjust to for them. But, um, I mean, just you look at talent, talent for talent, um, you know, at – one point I got called out because I said there's been a talent gap with Oregon State. And um, one of my, our members said, you can't tell me that there's a talent gap with Nevada. And this was after the Nevada game. And I went through and looked at the 22 starters. And I think it was 11 or 12 of them. Their only offer was Oregon State. Wow. So this is this is a team that was not highly recruited, um, not, you know, by anyone, not just the Pac-12. So, um, you know, USC is is full of four and five star guys. I know there's some injuries there, but um, talent for talent lineup, SC should win this one hands down. But like I said, emotionally, um, just like, though, I, I thought Oregon State would come out against Cal and, and be fired up for homecoming and had a bye week and they laid an egg. So. I, I just can't pick the Beavers until they show some consistency. No, I've, I've been horrible at picking the Beavers. The same thing. I was like, oh, Oregon State's going to come home. And even like, even in the Ohio State game, like Oregon State was putting up points. Like, oh, they're looking yeah, good. Yeah, they put up points. But they were giving the up. The offense hasn't been the problem. It's it's the defense. And the defense was giving up like points to like the fourth string Oregon yeah, State, I mean, yeah. Ohio State team. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> like Oregon State should have covered that game. I'm still mad about it, Angie. It still makes me mad. And the Cal game. <laughs> Cal's offense is awful, and I forget how many yeah, points yeah. they were giving up or whatever. Forty nine to seven. It was forty nine to seven. Like to Cal, yeah, like to that's, Cal. Cal's a good defense. Like seven points, that's a reasonable. But 
they should have scored like 19, not 49. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's hard to figure yeah. out the Pac-12. It's just I, I don't know. I'm still mad at UCLA because I picked them week one in the whole survivor thing. Oh, yeah. That's I, I told you kind of off air, like, well, at least I don't cover UCLA. It could be worse. Yeah, that was that was bad. So we do for the podcast of champions, we do a survivor pool. And I think nine of us from the Pac-12 were going to take part. <laughs> and unfortunately, four of you guys were gone <laughs> we the first UCLA. week. Yeah, there was I think one person picked Arizona or two or, and then like one or two, like the rest picked UCLA. And, and I was so like prepared, right? I had, I had figured it out. I was picking Oregon State for the Southern Utah week. That was going to be the week I picked them. And like I had it all laid out. And then freaking UCLA. Yeah. Man. And then so the, there was four, like five of us that survived. Like pretty much after that first week, we survived every week. <laughs> then David had picked like Stanford the week they lost to uh, Utah, got smoked. And then. This last week, the re- the four of us that were left, we all lost at the same time. So three of us had Oregon and one of us had Washington. So it was a it was a bloodbath Saturday where every underdog won on Saturday. The only favorite this weekend, this past weekend, that one was Utah smoking uh, UCLA on Friday night. But Saturday, all five underdogs, including the Oregon State Beavers, won. Yes. Uh, pretty fun stuff. All right. Well, we'll see, Angie. I have no idea either. I will take. I'm taking Oregon State and the points, two touchdowns, uh, in this one. But I, I is cont- that all it is right now? Two touchdowns. I think it was 14. I, I, uh, when we picked, okay. I have to. I have to see when we picked. I think it was 14. Um, it looks like JT Daniels will play in this one. I don't know if that impacted the line after we because we record our show on Monday. Um, yeah, so I'm not yeah. sure if it's moved or anything. But I'm pretty good at picking USC because I just pick against USC every week and they never cover the spread, so it, it works. <laughs> I've been really bad at picking Oregon State this week because when it was like a 30-point spread, I'm like, yeah, give me the Beavers in 30 points, and they yeah. don't cover. And then when I'm like, no, screw that. The other team's going to cover, and then, you know, something like this last week happened. So well, I get yeah, it wrong yeah. every time. But So maybe it's bad for I'm picking Oregon State in the 14 this time. <laughs> I, I think USC's going to win, but I just kind of feel like it's going to be uh, close, closer. Than- closer, yeah. Yeah, which yeah. means it'll probably be 49 to seven or something. Anyway. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> that's, that's exactly how, how I am too. <laughs> well, Angie, this is why I don't sports gamble because yeah, no, I don't put fun. money on it. We just, but I, I yeah, care about yeah. this for whatever reason, you know, it's a USC guy and the UCLA and we pick against each other and I care about it. Like trying to, I, I beat him every year, but, and I'm beating him right now, but it's like, it <laughs> makes it. David. Big, <laughs> He's good though. We're I love doing it with him. It's fun. We have a we have a great time on the show. That's awesome. And you're one of our great guests, so it's awesome. I know it's fun. Cool. Well, Angie Machado, BeaverBlitz.com. Make sure you check it out. I'll have uh, I asked Angie five questions that'll go up on the site here uh, quickly, and I believe Angie sent Dan Weber five questions or so. So uh, he'll send those off to her. And uh, but yeah, if you want to know anything more about the Oregon State Beavers, make sure you check out BeaverBlitz.com. Because she's got it all on lockdown up there. But Angie, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Thanks to Angie for joining the show. I wanted to finish off by answering some of the uh, questions that were sent in that we didn't get to on Harvey Hyde's show or Dan Weber's show. I'll try to go through these quickly. Um, Bruce and Fullerton wrote in. Uh, when you had Colin Coward on your show, did you? Th- what did you think of Colin's recommendation for the next head coach? That he should be a young offensive-minded coach, 44 years or younger, with collegiate and NFL experience. He recommended Jed Fish of the Rams as his choice. He was definitely against hiring an older defensive coach 
aka Bob Stoops, Bruce and Fullerton. Well, there's no opening at USC right now, Bruce. Um, and it doesn't look like there's going to be one. So I, you know, I guess it depends on how the last four uh, games go. But just in general, I, uh, for me, I think USC's done the inexperienced assistant too often. So I would say, I think Jed Fish would be, you know, great offensive coordinator. But I'd rather have, for me, if USC has to hire a head coach, I'd rather it be an experienced head coach. And like I've said a million times, like no more coaches with USC ties. So Jed Fish fits that, no USC ties, but he hasn't been a head coach before. So I would think USC at this point, you got to go with an experienced head coach, someone that's done it before. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of good candidates, but like I said, there's no opening right now at USC. I know we get a lot of questions about that. Don said, other than Biggie and Cam later round, will any other Trojans get drafted this year for a school uh, with the most recruits and NFL aspirations and multiple stars, why so many disappointments? Don, um, yeah, no, I think there will, like, you know, guys like Porter Gustin. Uh, I feel like there's not, from talking to some of the NFL personnel uh, who look at the roster, there's not a lot of, or really any first, second round guys on this team that will come out this next year but guys that are later round guys. So there'll be more dudes drafted later rounds. They'll you know be able to chance to make rosters. But um, yeah, that's not a, I, yeah, I, I just feel like this year from what the guys I talked to, you're not going to see the third overall pick, but you should see a bunch of guys get drafted just later in the later rounds. Jim B said, how about bringing in Jeff Brom from Purdue or major, major Applewhite uh, from Houston as the new head coach fight on. Um, yeah, like I said, no, no openings right now, Jim, but, uh, I think Brahm is a great candidate. I think major Apple, you probably need a little bit more seasoning, uh, for someone like him. I, I, you know, getting, uh, he's only got a couple years, I believe as the head coach, uh, there at Houston, but he's doing some really good things at Houston. They beat the crap out of Arizona. They might be the group of five representative, uh, in the, you know, new year six bowls or whatever. So I think he's doing a, a pretty good job there at, at Houston. But like I said, no opening at USC. Erica Duck Country, even though Clay Helton was the offensive coordinator under Sarkin Kiffin, was he ever really the play caller? Eric, yeah, he was. Um, so uh, he was for Sark. Um, and I don't remember if he was a little bit for Kiffin. Kiffin always liked doing that kind of stuff, but he definitely was the play caller before. And, you know, right now he's going to do it again. That's something he feels really comfortable doing. Uh, we're not sure. Like, is it going to be more of a... Uh, run first sort of offense is, is going to look a lot different. Uh, the offense already looked different between when JT Daniels was in versus Matt Fink and Jack Sears. Does the offense look more like it did when it was effective from a scheme standpoint with Jack Sears and Matt Fink? We will see. We just, we just don't know uh, at this point. And it's going to be hard to kind of compare it because we, you know, JT Daniels was out last week. He'll be back this week. Uh, I kind of feel my gut is, it will look more coached, you know, like I feel it just, the offense looked more coached when you had the other quarterbacks that weren't JT Daniels in there. When JT Daniels was in there, it was more, let him go sling it. So my guess is you're going to see JT Daniels in there, but it will be more kind of constructed plays that we saw um, with the other two quarterbacks and not just throwing it deep. Daniel from LA, uh, forget the coaching staff. We already know what it is. Trash. Oh, that's not, that's kind of mean, Daniel. But now I'm starting to question USC's entire administration. From the board on down, they all see this BS that's going on on game days. They just spent $400 million to renovate this place. 
with the people on board on the board that truly understand that needing an attractive product is key. Caruso, Spielberg, etc. I can't believe they are not making any moves. I'm sure they have uh, that they have the money and attention tied up in more important businesses right now. But as a board member that approved 400 million in spending and hopes to attract more money to the university as a whole, the product you put on the field will be uh, key as well. Or so as they say in their world, uh, there's going to be uh, this is going to be a 400 million dollar flop in the USC football box office. Your thoughts, Daniel from LA. Yeah, there was, uh, so some weird stuff been going on for sure. Um, the vote of confidence that Lynn Swan gave on Trojans Live uh, Tuesday night, much anticipated. We were talking about it on our message boards. Uh, a lot of people felt, and we were told that he was going to come out and not just give a vote of confidence, but say, he was going to be back. Now, he fell short of that. He didn't come out and specifically say it. Did he kind of mean to say it and just didn't say the words exactly, like didn't make it specific, but in his mind, he he was? I, we just don't know at this point. We don't hear enough from Lynn Swan uh, to know. But the, the feeling you got for sure was he's, you know, his thoughts, the board's thoughts, whatever it was coming through him, it didn't sound like someone that was ready to get rid of Clay Helton uh, at all. So, uh, the assumption we're going with is, you know, there's no plans to uh, make a coaching change. It will be more like what we saw from Brian Kelly a few years back uh, where they made a coaching change and uh, not, they didn't make a coaching change, but they made assistant changes. Now there's already been one, there's been a demotion. I think a lot's going to depend on these next four games. Um, could USC make a head coaching change after the next four games? I mean, if it goes super poorly, yes, but my thought is now it's like almost almost 100% you're going to see Clay Helton back in 2019. So then the question will be, what other changes uh, does he make after the season? So I think that's where USC is right now. Um, just from hearing what Lynn Swan from the sources that we've talked to, my guess would be, if I had to bet money, Clay Helton's the head coach in 2019. I think he could be a successful coach. I mean, I, I think he's done some really good things at USC. But there were some some glaring problems that I don't feel were addressed. If he could address a lot of those glaring problems, is it a too little, too late thing? I don't know. But I think they at least have a chance because it is a very talented roster. And you do have a lot of advantages. If you can fix some of the, the glaring issues, they could be a pretty successful team next year. You know, bounce back depending on how they you know finish this year. And I know that's not what a lot of USC fans want to hear. They want to just hear uh, getting a whole new coaching staff and all of that. And I'm not saying you're right or wrong, but I'm just saying the way it's looking right now, my guess is 2019, it's a different staff with Clay Helton. How different it is to me will determine how successful the team will be. If it's only of, you know, what they've done so far, um, I don't think that's near enough. I think they, I think there's some major things that would have to go on. And, uh, you know, Clayton could do it. We just don't know uh, if he will. Let's see. Don, he says, can we divide USC football into different seasons? February is fantasy football. No coaching needed, just great recruits. Spring football is optimism. New players with great potential. Summer players only having fun. Uh, fall camp, poor evaluation of talent. Season begins, have a playoff team. Now Helton's mistake-free coaching and play calling comes to fruition. What's next, uh, Don? Yeah, USC does pretty well in some of those other spots and uh, not been as good at the uh, at the whole season thing. And we'll see uh, if that's changing. 
uh, going forward. Well, then a lot of it's going to depend on how much he changes things, how much he makes changes, because I, um, that's, I've been pretty clear with about this the whole time. I feel these changes need to be made. Uh, here's another one from Don. I disagree with all these nice messages that held is a nice guy. All right. I, have you met him, Don? Because if you did, you wouldn't say that because he is a very nice guy. He's uh he's a great guy. Uh, he is arrogant. He doesn't answer questions. He never admits he's wrong. He refuses to change in a parent failing coaching philosophy. He has a subtle ways of deflecting blame. His quote, have been a coach for 25 years, unquote, got old a long time ago. His warriors and brothers quip doesn't seem to be producing any hard fought wins or hard fought losses. Is USC not able to provide Helton with a better staff because USC is not considered a good destination or is Helton not viewed as a competent coach among his peers? Don, you're all over the place there. Um, yeah, we get you don't like him. That's fine. But you can't just say, well, he's not a nice guy. He is a nice guy. He is a very nice guy. If you ever talk to him, you would not say what you said. Um, as far as better staff goes, I, I feel that's mostly been on Clay Helton. I don't think there was his uh, hands were being tied. He wasn't allowed to hire uh, people, uh, he wanted to. So, uh, we'll see what he does going forward. His best hire, I thought was Dylan McCullough and he failed to kind of, uh, replace him with a, a running backs coach. They've just brought in Tim Drevno was essentially Neil Calloway's replacement. Um, so we'll see, I, you know, has he learned from that? Is it, you know, this is now, this wasn't a, you know, replacing a running backs coach who left for the NFL. This is now going to be replacing guys who are ineffective how deep does he go with the cuts and how willing is he to bring in outsiders who are proven to replace those guys all of that i think is going to be very important um to the success of this football team going forward um we got one last text from ryan uh, i hate to see usc lose but hopefully more losses means a faster exit for clay helton and his staff it's time for us to move on and get things headed in a new direction under new leadership. I didn't even watch today's game because I already knew what to expect from the staff. And the injury situation has depleted any hope that remained. Helton is working on borrowed time, and we don't uh, have time to waste. Will Lin Swan let him go at the end of the season? Uh, Ryan in uh, Limert Park. Um, yeah, no, that, so on the injury side, USC's got a bunch of guys back this week. So Cameron Smith was back and, uh, Chuma Dogo who left the game was back and Elijah Griffin, who's been a you know, young, great young corner. He's back. Of course, JT Daniels is back. Marvell Tell was back. So I think the injury situation, they'll be healthier going up to Oregon state. I think the attitudes change a little bit with the, the shakeup that, that, that Clay Elton had. And like we said before, I don't, I don't see Lance Juan letting him go just from what he said, you know, barring some kind of crazy event uh, at the end of the season. But, you know, we'll, we don't know. That's USC, and we don't know because there's no president at the university. Uh, you know, there's an interim president. The board of trustees, I think, has a lot of power in here, Rick Caruso and uh, those guys. Who's, you know, he's the guy that developed the, uh, the Grove in Los Angeles. But just being around everybody and talking to people, um, I'm not saying like, there's a lot of people I talked to at USC who aren't happy. Um, and when the word came out that it looked like Lin Swan was going to, uh, you know, let people know he was going to stay for 2019, which eventually didn't, he did not do in public. Uh, he's done. So we believe privately, um, I know, you know, people that work at USC that were not happy about that. And, uh, they, you know, every, people see it too. You see, the direction that it just doesn't look like it's a team that's close right now. 
but I think they're going to give Clay, El- you know, Clay Elton earned enough in in the people's, you know, the people in power's mind to get another shot at this. And I feel like they started to make some changes now. They'll make some more uh, after the season. And I think the team can be a lot more successful. And like I said before, I know a lot of people don't want to hear that, but I, I feel it can be. Like there's, there. I still believe there's a crap load of talent on this team, like the best roster in the Pac-12. So you get the right people to develop and coach them. Uh, I think it can be successful. Now, I mean, there, there could be a situation where then they get good enough, but are they, are, is Clay Helton capable of being like a playoff caliber head coach? I don't know. I mean, uh, for what I've seen so far, they, they've done some good things, but I just don't see a lot of the decisions he's made getting, getting them there. But part of the things when you hire a head coach that hasn't done it before, you have to be able to learn on the job. We haven't really seen him make changes on the job and learn, like, you know, quote unquote, learn on the job the way you would have liked. And maybe that was a, a sense of loyalty, the faith family football thing to be loyal to the guys that he had hired and stick to those principles. And, but that wasn't working. And so maybe now this like the writings on the wall is like, Hey, you know, I tried it that way. We're going to do things differently. Now, if it's just like, you know, retouching up some paint and you're going to still do it the same way, I think you're probably going to see some very similar results uh, next year. But if there's pretty sweeping changes and different philosophies brought in and, you know, different coaches and stuff. Yeah. I mean, who knows? It, you, I mean, it could get, I mean, I guess it could get worse potentially, but I would think it could get a lot better. So this is a, a time where, uh, you know, it, I, to me, it's like a crossroads in the program and you're going to see a head coach and Clay Helton given, you know, which we think if he's going to be given this opportunity to, to make some big calls and big changes and, all I'll need to see is what changes were made and I'll tell you how I think it's going to go forward. If it's just, uh, you know, surface stuff and nothing really more major beyond what he's already done this past week, I don't think you're going to see much different results next year. Big major sweeping changes, you know, who knows at that point, then I think there's, there's a lot more potential there. So this is a time to stay tuned and uh, and and see how the season. The first thing is how do they finish the season? You know, how does the play calling look with Clay Helton calling the plays? Is the offense going to be a lot different? It's a very ineffective offense right now. They are last, dead last in the Pac-12 in third down conversions, and I mean all these things. They're in the the hundred and twenties and rushing for different you know advanced stats and stuff. There's a lot of bad numbers for this USC offense. The USC defense is kind of middle of the road for most of the things. So the offense is what needs to get fixed. That's where he made some of the current changes and we'll see how they do. It's not a really difficult schedule. Oregon state, you know, we talked about earlier, they finally won a a road game after four years. Um, But you know, USC still going to be a two touchdown favorite up in Corvallis. We'll see how they play there. If they can cover the spread, I think that's a pretty good sign. Um, You know, at least a step in the right direction. You know, Cal got a huge win against Washington, but they only scored 10 points, didn't get an offensive touchdown. Um, So there's, you know, UCLA, we'll see what they do. And of course, Notre Dame looks like the real threat. But if they finish three and one with the loss to Notre Dame, that's not like horrible. um, I mean, then at least it's like a, you know, a better sign. It's, you know, seven and five is not an amazing record, but, uh, you know, see what they can do in a bowl game and, and, you know, and see what kind of changes he makes. But, Again, I know it's not what a lot of people want to hear, but I'm just telling you what 
you know, I, I've given you plenty of thoughts. I mean, I probably talked way too much about, you know, who the next coach and stuff should be. But that's when we thought that there was definitely going to be a change. It just looked like that. Now we're not thinking that. Now it's not looking like that. Not that it won't happen, but just from everything we're seeing right now, it seems like that's it's unlikely. So it's to, to me, I, I mean, I don't really want to keep answering questions about who the next coach should be if that's not happening, but what changes are going to be made now and, and how that is going to impact the team. All right. Well, I think we'll wrap it up. Uh, thanks to you all for uh, the questions and thanks to Angie Machado for coming on and, and previewing USC versus Oregon State. Uh, important game for both teams. See if Oregon State can uh, build on that win they got, crazy win they got in Colorado. And of course, USC, you make some staff changes, you want to see some good results. for So for Clay Helton, it's important to put a good showing up there in Corvallis. All right, that's going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll have a uh, tunnel vision. Thursday at noon, as, norm, as we normally do. And then after that, uh, Keeley and Shotgun will, will record their Family Feud podcast. So if you have any questions for that, make sure you send those in. But thanks so much for tuning in to the Parasol podcast, and we will talk to you next time.